We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Today on the People I Sorta Know podcast, we speak with Ole Miss Chancellor Glenn Boyce. Glenn took over the uh, chancellorship in October 2019, less than six uh, months after that, the pandemic hit the United States. He navigated Ole Miss through uh, through that time period, and that was on the other side. We talk a good bit today about retention rates, enrollment, the health of the university, and cover a lot of other topics, including I know a lot of sports fans obviously listening to this podcast. We discuss Lane Kiffin, some of his recent comments about Oxford and Ole Miss and what it's uh, what it's meant to him. And then we also kind of get into uh, some, some, some deeper topics as far as the university, logistically, things that are necessary for it to move forward in the best way possible. Um, everything from dorms and handling the extra students to uh, anything else that we could think of over the course of about a half hour with Chancellor Boyce. Really appreciate his time today as we uh, navigate several topics to do with Ole Miss. Ole Miss welcoming in a record freshman class. We do not know the exact numbers yet, those coming out from the IHL later in the semester, but for sure a freshman record. We discussed ways that are reasons why that's the case, what it means for Ole Miss, and what's kind of the perfect size for each class for Ole Miss moving forward. So I really enjoyed our conversation, I think, as uh, Ole Miss fans, Ole Miss uh, students, Ole Miss uh, employees and whatnot, you will enjoy it as well. A lot of good information here from Chancellor Boyce. So we'll get on with it. Again, here is Ole Miss Chancellor Glenn Boyce. Chancellor Glenn Boyce here now with us. Thanks for the time today. We were discussing a little baseball before we got kick-started. I guess just tell me about your Omaha experience, the postseason. What was it like during the uh, the course of those few weeks in, in June for you? Uh, it was just as exciting for me as it was any other Rebel fans, Chase. I'll tell you, it was a special time for our university, for our fans, for those players, for Coach Bianco and his staff. And uh, it was just fun being out there. And for those of us that had heard about Omaha year after year after year and uh, had heard about the great experiences the fan bases had out there, well, lived up, lived up to all of its expectations. You're a sports fan, so what is it like watching from your vantage point that season like that where, you know, on May 1st they're struggling to get into the SEC tournament and the entire run, then to see it for a staff like that, for a guy like Mike, for it all to pay off to that extent there at the end? Well, I, I think the most important thing is it teaches us all a strong lesson. And it's a lesson that you, you never can learn enough times. 
I don't know if people recognize that, but it, when you have a, a team like that that is so resilient and a team like that that uh, rises above the expectations and uh, especially at that point uh, in their, their history when the season was really struggling with a few of those weekend losses and so on and so forth, it just reminds you that the game can change overnight, the mentality of players can change overnight, and you're not really sure at any one moment most of the time. You can't really point it out. You know, you might be able to reflect back after it's all over and say, well, maybe this was the defining moment. But more times than not, it just seems to come together and people start and players start believing in each other. And that confidence takes on a whole new shape. And the next thing you know, you're on your way to a World Series championship. It's funny you said that because, Mike, the one question he hates more than anything is, is this going to be one of those moments that does this? And he says, hey, we're in the moment. I have no idea. Ask me in three months. And, <laughs> and you know, God, I hope so. But that's as far as you can uh, as you can say there. We're in your office today. Obviously, kids around, students changing classes. I think I was trying to park in the middle of one of those class changes this afternoon. Is it like just sort of getting back into the swing of things, especially in a year like this with normalcy back? I mean, what's been the biggest change just sort of for you with everything feeling a little more normal as the fall gets here? Well, uh, candidly, there hasn't been any change or feeling for me. Uh, we, we felt like we were pretty normal last fall in particular right. coming out of COVID and everything. And uh, this fall, it's just uh, the same fall with the exception of there's a lot more students here, so there's a lot more vibrancy and more excitement. and. Uh, if you got on campus in any less than 10 or 15 minutes, you did well because it's uh, difficult getting on and off campus right now. You set that up, enrollment obviously up. I know official numbers come out later from the IHL this this fall, but um, what do you feel like is contributing to that and how pleased are you with just whatever those numbers end up being? Well, we're obviously very excited. This is by far our largest freshman class in, in history. It's 26, 27% larger than last year's class. and. Uh, um, We've never had more than more than much about 3,980 students in 2016. We've got well over 4,000 now in our freshman class. So, but but that's not the only reason. We've also got two years of great retention rates. Um, our junior class was 88 uh, percent, and this last freshman class, uh, the sophomores this year, uh, approached 90 percent. When you have those retention rates along with another large incoming class, uh, you're gonna you're gonna grow as a university, and we're excited about all that. And I will tell you what, what I attribute to it. It's not unlike, it's not unlike uh, recruiting athletes, Jason, that's for sure. Because what happens is, is that the visibility that we gain as a university, and athletics certainly plays a part of that, uh, at least it interests students from all over America because we're a national brand. Sure. Make no mistake. We're, we are an absolute national brand. And so what happens is then they come visit. And it's when they come visit that we're at our best. And when you touch America's most beautiful campus and you see our culture and you see people still holding doors for each other and people the way we treat each other on campus and so on, I can tell you it resonates with parents and it resonates with their students. And so our greatest asset, which has always been, and people have always said it, but it's true, our tours are led by student ambassadors and those students do an incredible job and I give them all the credit in the world for why our enrollment's increasing so significantly. So it's really pretty simple. The visibility is a national visibility with a national brand, and here they come, and then we've got it down to a science as soon as they touch us, and then they go downtown and they see that beautiful Oxford Square, and they're sold. 
you mentioned the retention rates. What would have been an average one prior to that? What is the what is kind of the context of that? Uh, to give you a context of that, uh, it could it, it would have changed year in and year out. But to give you an idea, a national retention rate is probably going to be 66 percent. Oh, wow. okay. We're we're talking significantly above it. You know, and we compare ourselves to our SEC brethren. That's who we really compare to, and they're going to have strong retention rates uh, across the SEC because obviously they're, they're wonderful universities. So, but nationally, you're going to you're going to see it someplace in there. It might climb to seventy from time to time. But this is this, these are exceptionally young people at this university. There's no doubt that athletics play some level of front door to the university from visibility of branding. How have, and I know, you know, in-state recruiting was one of your main tenets when you got here to improve. How has that sort of changed? And then how has that played into out-of-state as well? I mean, what, what are sort of the reasons why people are visiting more and you feel like the, the, those access things are happening? Yeah, we, we put a lot of tactics in place, new tactics in place. So when we moved enrollment management and restructured when I first got here, and, and a lot of those tactics were geared toward in-state recruiting to make sure that we kept pressing our state forward and uh, we put more recruiters out there in different areas and we use different marketing tactics and so on and so forth that our fantastic marketing team did and I can tell you that uh, one of the greatest things is that we've got 200 more Mississippians this year than we had last year's freshman class and we've grown in our freshman class of Mississippians uh, by 21% over the last two years. So we know that the, the strategies that we put in place are working and we're excited about that. But one of the other things I'd like to point out about this in particular, this freshman class of Mississippians that I'm so proud of is their average ACT is just over 25, which is way significantly larger than the state average. And, but their average grade point average was 3.73. That's really a strong, strong incoming group of freshmen from our state. So we're really excited about what, what this freshman class will do. And of course, the out-of-state freshmen bring in their same thing, high ACTs, high grade point average, wonderful students. And a lot of them are alumni children. People forget, you know, we got alumni, thousands of them all across, spread across America. And we've got huge alumni in these cities that are in the southeastern part. And Chase, 88% of our students come from the southeastern part of the United States. But even so, we've got those others that are out there, that 11, 12% that's out there across America. Uh, and so many of them, they have an alumni in the community that's telling them about us. And the next thing you know, a few students start to visit from a school out of state. Then the next thing you know, 10, 20, 30 come. And all of a sudden, Ole Miss has a foothold inside of these schools. Well, candidly, it's happening all across the southeast and across the country. The enrollment has been a topic that I've talked to people around town, my subscribers, my listeners, and they I, I keep asking questions I don't have a great answer for. What impact on enrollment numbers is potentially the lack of test scores now being a part of the admissions process? Yeah, when you go test optional, uh, like we have, and we've done this for about three years now, right. uh, and the test optional has an impact that, that we can tell or that we have any scientific evidence that we've got objective data that says, oh yes, we went test optional and it did this. No, there's nothing there that really indicates it. And keeping in mind that 83% of our students in this freshman class, this large freshman class, submitted test scores because they're looking for merit scholarships sure. and things of that nature. So the vast majority, and I would guess that around 80 to 85% every year will submit test scores. And so, but and the other thing with these retention rates, we don't really have a strong evidence one way or another that says that by going test optional, the ones that aren't submitting test scores aren't faring well. Because the truth of the matter is high school GPA and persistence, resilience, and things of this nature, especially in specific subject matters, is a better indicator of college success. 
what, what, what is the benefit of test optional? What, is the, what are the positives of going that direction? Um, it, it's kind of interesting, Chase, because uh, I'm not sure I can, can answer that for okay. you uh, from a student's perspective. I think that has to be an individual decision. Okay. Uh, and and you, do get, you do get some scholarshiping and, and support from us for, for GPA and for class rank, things of that nature. But when you score tests, when, when you uh, submit test scores, uh, you have opportunity for a lot more merit scholarships. Sure. So I'm um, not sure, I, I think probably because you're in a different pool and maybe if you've really got a high GPA and, and uh, a high class rank, you probably would benefit some. What about from the university side? Is that something you, you, you expect that to continue moving forward to, oh, to be yes. test optional? Yeah, absolutely. I expect that to continue. And I think this is something, this isn't, this isn't new to higher education. Sure. This is something where higher education is slowly, gradually moving in this direction. You mentioned the huge class. We know just logistically in your mind, what is, what is perfect? What is, a, what is a freshman class that you hope is at this point? Uh, I think that's a great question, by the way. And I don't think there's a perfect number, but I do think that you have to grow with your infrastructure. And if you take in and grow too large too soon, your infrastructure is going to hurt you in the long run. And so, you know, if you don't have enough parking spaces for your upper class and then your commuters, if you don't have enough food services and there's long lines everywhere, but the most important thing, if you don't have really strong quality faculty because you're going to have to hire more faculty and you don't have the resources for those faculty to be successful because they're such an important part of our students' lives and leadership of our students. All these and, and more are key factors, and you've got to grow consistently with your with your growth that infrastructure. And even having said that, that's true of the city of Oxford a little sure. bit too, because we have this great community, great community relationship. Mayor Tannehill is wonderful. We work closely together. This all works, but if we end up growing too fast, and I kind of tongue in cheek said the other day at a in an event, I said. Mayor, I want to apologize for the traffic problem I've created, and to all the other people here, to all the adults in the room and the alumni in the room, I want to apologize that you can't get a reservation at a restaurant. And I don't, I can't either. So there you go. But uh, but but all that does have to work together. And and my answer is that you can get too big. Your class ratios can get too big. You can get big, wieldy, and you can run around and. and and talk about how big you are and be proud of that. But if you're not giving the students the experience you promised them and you promised their parents when you recruited them, and we, with our infrastructure, with the size of our community and the size of our university, we have to be careful about that. And we have to move our infrastructure with the growth. And then we have to halt it when the growth halts and move in with each other. What are the what are the ways that right now that needs to be looked at? I mean, logistically, infrastructure, because like you said, if you have great retention rates and these continuing big classes, you are going to run into some of those issues. That's a great question, Chase. Uh, uh, the biggest one that, that comes to my mind right now that's really pressing is housing. Uh, you know, we, we took and, you know, our freshmen have to live on campus, uh, which is a, it's one of the reasons we have such great retention rates. But and so in turn, I'm incredibly concerned right now about upper class housing. Okay. I want to make sure that my classes, as they're bigger, as they start to come through, uh, I want to make sure they have a housing here. Uh, and of course, you know, Oxford has a strong housing community and everything, but even so, we can overrun that. And when your upper class can't find housing, well, that's not the kind of message that you want to send out back across, you know, our state and back across the nation. That, Hey, you know, almost a great place, but I can't find a place to live. You know, so we're working on that issue 
and we're working on is should we give another really large class and candidly our applications have already opened up and they're they're larger than this application okay. so the visibility continues to come and the people continue to be interested the word continues to spread well we've got to take and make sure that that's handled and that we've got enough housing to accommodate not just a freshman class but to see what we can do to help our upperclassmen and that includes graduate students you know our graduate students are out there and they're working two and three jobs trying to make it through as well as working in research areas and stuff for us so it's very important that we take care of all of our students at all levels and so we've got to figure that one out and the time frame is is running because it takes everybody just thinks the obvious we'll build a dorm well it takes almost three years to totally completely build a dorm so there's a lot of work that we've got to do and we've got to make some decisions here shortly about how we plan to move forward with that we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. And that would come on the fundraising side, obviously, all those things, too. I guess that it's, it's a decent dovetail in. How is the capital campaign going at this point on the academic university side? The capital campaign is just, it's been outstanding. I'm so appreciative of our donors and our alumni and just the, the friends uh, of this university. Last year, this past year, we raised just over $150 million. It was the second finest fundraising year in our history. And it, we did that without any what I call really big, huge, significant gifts. Usually a gift of 25, 30 million will really kick a fundraising year up there significantly. We had we had more more donors than ever give gifts. 
You see, one of the things, one of my major parts of the campaign wasn't just that dollar figure. Sure, that's important. It's up over, I guess, 1.23 billion or something at this point. But one of my big things was I wanted to get alumni who hadn't been engaged with us for many, many years back involved with us. That was important to me. I wanted to make sure that we got our younger alumni off the sidelines, even no matter what, a small way doesn't matter, it's an important way, and get them into the, the process of giving so that they could reconnect or touch with the university and stay connected. Uh, so those were some of the things that are important to me about this campaign, is just getting out there and making sure that our relationships either need to redevelop or just need to continue to grow across a wider and wider segment of our alumni. Is that as simple as calls, mailers, just any kind of contact that you could do at that point? It, it, it is, it, it is that, and it's just continuing to reach out and finding alumni that we haven't touched in many, many years. And uh, uh, it, it's also a lot, of, a lot of miles on me and uh, my wife. <laughs> We've spent a lot of time traveling all across America, uh, uh, reaching out to people who haven't been reached out to and, 20 years, 25 years that we've discovered. But I will say this about Chase, which is fascinating to me. Uh, most of the people that we've reached out to and went to visit uh, all across the country, uh, places that people wouldn't even dream we have alumni who have been so successful and our leaders, like, because that's what we do best at Ole Miss, we build leaders, and it's been proven over and over. They're still, they're still in touch with what's going on at the university. You know, even though the university hasn't been touching them, they continue to touch the university. And that's been the part that's so fascinating. You know, the university's not out there, not a part of, of their lives. We're not reaching out there to them. But when I went out there and visited with all of them, it was like, wow, they really know what's happening. They're keeping track of us. And so I found that to be fascinating. And we need to do a, a better job cultivating our entire alumni base in that regard. But it also probably meant there was a way to get them back quickly because they were grateful and receptive and there was an open line of communication versus any kind of standoffish because of the lack of contact prior to this, I guess. Uh, there was, there's no yeah. question about it. They were so appreciative and, and they've already stepped up and many of them have already stepped up and done some significant things for us. So, uh, so, and it's not that there's not a lot of hard work that has been. A lot of hard work's been going on, but it's just a, we've got a lot of alumni that are all over the world, literally. We talked all around this, but from a more specific line with the football program's success, what does that mean for visibility or even, you know, maybe not enrollment, but admissions or, or just contact with the university? I know there's no necessarily tangible way to know that, but what have you sort of, you know, envisioned in your head from that? Yeah, uh, I, I think you, you, you envision uh, just what most people really do understand is, is that uh, people are much more excited about, you know, about the fall. People get excited about, okay, it's time to get back to the Grove, get back to Circle. And people are also, their, their anticipation and their expectations are more significant. And so that creates a different buzz, a different vibrancy, a different excitement about things. And, um, and, and for me, that's good. And, and for Lane, everybody else, because we like to have the big expectations. There's, that's, that's wonderful. It's a, better to have it that way than it is the opposite way, without question. So we get excited about that. And the, the big thing though, it is really the visibility you get on a national level, you know, and you see a team out there performing like ours do. And once again, we have a, we have a nice, a really pretty stadium and a lot of things, a lot of positives. And then you see, you know, we do a great job with our commercials and everything else that our marketing plan does. Marketing is great inside of our athletic program. We have some really talented people who are innovative and creative, do some amazing things. Hype videos are wonderful. 
So it doesn't really matter where you touch us. People see excitement, they see vibrancy during the football season. And so in turn, that just relates to a lot of positive things that I would assume that you would have known or seen this on a more personal level, but what does it mean to you? What is sort of your reaction when you hear Lane talk about Oxford needing him, you know, him needing Oxford more than it needing him, or just the way that the way I've perceived him as a media member, the way he seems to have embraced the community more in the last year, year and a half, and, and seems quite comfortable here as, uh, as this is as this, as this, as appointment. Yeah, Lane and I have uh, talked many occasions, and uh, uh, we, we have, you know, we enjoy each other's company. And uh, so one of the things that Lane said to me at a lunch one time here recently, which I think was a telling statement, uh, he said, he said, you know, one of the things I've come to understand is it doesn't really make any difference which community I'm in in the SEC. When you're a head football coach in the SEC, uh, you've got to be on all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're going to be a focal point of whatever community that you're in. And so it doesn't really matter whether it's a smaller community like Oxford or a larger community like Austin, Texas is going to be soon. Uh, you're still high profile and you have to live with that profile. You just don't have a choice. So you might just as well get comfortable with that profile because that's going to be you. And when he said that, I thought to myself, you know, it's wonderful to have him in Oxford, but he certainly gets it. And so if anybody ever said to me, you know, how has Lane grown? Well, let me just say this about it. That obviously speaks volumes and says it everything it needs to say. But also, maybe people don't know Lane very well, okay? Uh, and, and I would say that's probably a true statement, but there's not too many more intense people about his profession than Lane Giffen is. And anybody who may have tried to create a different narrative about his intensity level and his commitment to his profession don't know him. He, he has got a focused, and when the season hits, it's twice as focused, one-way thought process about his livelihood and about his love for the game of football. And I haven't run into too many football coaches, and I've run into an awful lot of them throughout my career who have any greater focus and any greater intensity about wanting to be a successful college football coach than Wayne Giff. And understands the entirety of the profession, the landscape. I mean, he really seems to – focus on, on, on the, na the national things that are changing and how it involves him and potentially changes him in the process. I mean, it's, he, he's, he is very interesting more on the big picture things than maybe some of the more minutia type things that he doesn't necessarily want to get deal with day to day, but he seems to really enjoy figuring out how something might impact him in, in, in the process. Oh, you, that's, a, that's a great statement, Jason. You're exactly right about that. I mean, he's, a, he's, a, what, he's what I consider the, to be the, the consummate student of the game. And he understands where the big picture, uh, at the end of the day, the big picture is going to make a meaningful difference in his success. Uh, and you can get down to minutia, which is always important and details matter, okay? But you've also got a full staff of other folks who are responsible for that as well. And I think he really likes to be thinking more so about this, this big picture. And, and that includes, you know, that includes game management. That includes a lot of different aspects of coaching besides just, you know, NIL, things of that nature. He's the best marketer in college football. So that brings in all the other things we were talking about as well. I mean, yeah. now we're dealing with a dog every day that, that you know, that, 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 that is coming around. <laughs> so uh, it's probably more of a Keith question, but I mentioned I was talking to you today and somebody told me to ask, where's the, uh, the softball stadium renovation at this point? Okay. Uh, at this point, it's in the it, it's in the uh, 
the drawing phase okay. and the architects I believe have it at, um, or, or they're about to have it so that's where it is okay. and, uh, we're excited about it and to, to get it under construction eventually but it's definitely it's definitely in the works and uh, I don't know how long it's going to take. You know. So it's been halted a little bit. No, not necessarily. That okay. actually is actually that's been okay. that's been moving forward. So it, you know, unless something's happened in the last couple of weeks, uh, that's been moving forward. I've got a point here. I was just thinking about this though. When you came in, you have COVID hit right after that. You go into something you weren't necessarily expecting. It reminded me a little bit of I make a comparison to when George W. Bush takes office and then 9-11 happens, he expected a very domestic presidency and a totally different thing of what came. How is that process and kind of maybe what you thought coming in and then everything changing on how you had to go about your day-to-day, how has that evolved you in, in, in the position? I mean, how do you feel like since you came out of that, you've been able to, 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 to learn from it or take positives or negatives or anything along those lines? Yeah, I would suggest this to you. One of the great things this university did in, in my uh, reflective nature of looking back at COVID was we took away the best of what we learned during COVID and we continued to put it into play. We continued to use it and it's made us better. Okay. So that's one of the great things about uh, having a good team and good people at a university. And I'll give you a couple of examples of that 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 might seem minor to, to some, but they're significant. You know, we still, we still use Zoom a lot. You know, Zoom became the way to meet and the way to handle your affairs during COVID. But we also recognize now that it also saved us a huge amount of time because people have to drive from all over to face-to-face meetings and things like that. And we became so comfortable with it that it's now just another part of our existence. And I, I don't even remember the last time I had a face-to-face uh, senior leadership group meeting that was required face-to-face. Oh. can't even remember the last time. Uh, it was probably pre-COVID actually. And another one that's important is we learned about moving, and we learned about how to get these thousands of students into their dorms, and we learned that it makes a lot more sense to schedule parents to come move in than it just say, hey, these dorms are gonna move in today and watch the thousands come all at one time. We also learned about offering you know, concierge services during move-in to where people are helping people unload cars so that we don't have parking issues everywhere in cars. We learn so much more and we're so much better today about the customer service model than perhaps we were back then. So those are just a few little things that uh, have created new efficiencies and effectiveness for us as we went and ventured through COVID where we were trying to all to stay away from each other, yet stay open. You mentioned residents, logistics, those type of things. Is there anything else over the course of the next you know, 12, 24 months? What's sort of on your plate? What, what, what's coming up that you feel are, is critical to this university here soon? Yeah, um, and, and the one thing that, that really, for me, is, is something that I'm pushing at hard uh, for this upcoming year. One of my major objectives is, is the research at our university. I'm really looking forward to us uh, continuing to expand our research enterprise. Um, I think that we have so much more potential as a university in that area. Uh, and I think that we just need to put more resources into that area. And we're, we're doing a lot more work right now as to how we might structure research moving forward uh, as a university. And that includes you know, pursuing some major initiatives out of the federal government along with restructuring some of our research division and how that works. You know, and that's, it, it's an exciting time. Because, you know, research is such an enormous and important part of not just our faculty members' professional careers, 
which we understand and want them to have the greatest careers possible. But it's also the excitement of new knowledge and it's the excitement of the possibilities of having tech transfer and bringing new businesses into our state, keeping our students at home. You know, as I think about your kindergartner, I think, you know, I'd like nothing more, Jason, than uh, for her to have a future here, sure. right here in our state. And so all of that matters deeply. So we are looking at that issue and we're looking at a, it being a member of a huge consortium that we're leading the drive for. And if we were successful to get a, a biotech hub here, which I won't go into great detail on, but if we were successful in something like that that we're working very, very hard at, it could mean transformation to how we could keep our graduates at home and what it would mean for the economy of our state. So we have to be the strongest research enterprise we can possibly be should that come our way, which uh, we certainly hope does. Your status is R1 research in general, all those type of things. Is that also an ecosystem where that plays into recruiting the best faculty and research and all those sort of things? How, how does that relate to Ole Miss as a, as a recruiting and maintaining the, the best faculty that you can? Yeah, I think this one's going su- to surprise uh, the people who are listening, uh, and that is that um, it matters deeply because when you recruit faculty members, especially uh, faculty members who have a lo- quite a bit of experience, they have the expectation that they're going to come with a research package. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. And these research packages can get very competitive and very large. We had an excellent researcher, and, and she was absolutely outstanding. And uh, she went to Ohio State. And uh, the, we tried everything we could to keep her. And uh, she was a great researcher and instructor and teacher and professor for us. But the package was for her research was someplace around $1.5 million. So, you know, it's hard to match those kind of packages for researchers and for our professors. And so in turn, um, it is so very critical that we have a great structure and people know that it's an emphasis area of ours and that they can come here and they can be a great professor, they can lead students, but they can also, that they can also have the resources necessary for them to pursue whatever knowledge base, new facts, whatever research they're trying to achieve out there personally because we want their reputation to be as strong as it can possibly be and the better their reputation across this nation or across the globe the better our reputation so we understand we walk hand in hand with and for us it's a commitment that we're making moving forward to whatever the next level may be I can't identify that and tell you specifically this is next level we are one we will remain our one and keep working at being becoming better but there is another level, and that's what we're striving for. That's just inside. I mean, just because it's, it's, it's your better, no matter what that is, right? That's it's right. not necessarily getting past anything from a from a structure standpoint. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So. So you mentioned you can't get in restaurants like anybody else, but what is? Uh, give me a couple favorite meals in town. Uh, <laughs> well, I tell you what, we we got some, as you know, we've got yeah. some great restaurants. So, and uh, I like to take and go to just about just about. Any one of them that any one of them that serves a good steak, I'm probably there, okay, uh, without question. And uh, I'm a pretty simple eater. Everybody knows that. Uh, yeah, the, the simpler the food, the better I am. So uh, I I really enjoy, uh, and and I enjoy uh, being out there. You know, uh, uh, my wife and I we don't cook a whole lot. You know, so we tend to we tend to eat out a lot. So we tend to get the best of what Oxford, Mississippi has to offer us. Well, good luck. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And thanks for the time. Chase, I appreciate you. Thank you. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? 
what do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.